How has fantasy baseball changed over the years? We'll ask the legend Lenny Melnick of the Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Channel and RotoExperts.com, and it's all next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, June the 2nd. It's show number 31 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we do have another great show for you. We'll talk with Lenny Melnick from SiriusXM Fantasy Sports, rotoexperts.com. He has his own podcasts, and we'll ask him about total control drafting, about changes in the game over the years, successful partnerships, his multimedia presence, studs and duds, and more. We'll also have our commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the Minor League Minute, analyst Rob Gordon reports on Philly's right-handed pitching prospect Aaron Nola. In our playing time commentary, Ryan Bloomfield looks at possible closer changes in Kansas City and Los Angeles. And in our frequent flyers commentary, Alex Becky looks at Eduardo Rodriguez, Chichi Gonzalez, and Joey Gallo. It's another big Tuesday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? It's June and summer's on the way. We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Tuesday edition, it's our feature expert interview with the legend, Lenny Melnick. Lenny, it's been too long. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, I'll tell you something. I am proud and privileged to be here uh, doing this podcast, of course. Uh, I grew up, uh, Patrick, you know, listening to this podcast when I was a kid <laughs> and uh, always wanted to be on it, so now's my big time. We've been on the air, I think, since the late 40s with the podcast, and uh, it's been, <laughs> been, <laughs> been going great guns. It. I remember, you know, I, yeah, my five-year-old birthday party, my father got me a subscription to Baseball HQ, and it's it's uh, it's never been the same since then. Well, Lenny, I know you've been around the game a long, long time. Uh, how are your teams doing this year? Well, i got to tell you something. Right out of the block, I got hit. I had Adam Wainwright in both Tout Wars and Labor. And uh, it, I'll tell you something. I, I know I took a chance with Wainwright, but never expected that kind of injury to knock him out. And uh, so I've been regrouping. In Tout Wars, I'm, I'm sitting third in Tout Wars and ready to make my move as I just made a, a big one-for-one trade in Tout Wars, uh, I was next to last in a 12-team league, NL only, next to last in strikeouts with about six or seven uh, points to pick up, and just in the strikeout category, uh, with maybe two or three points in the win category. So I acquired uh, Lance Lynn in exchange for Charlie Blackman. And, of course, uh, you know, with Blackman being able to steal bases, my offense is good. It's just one of those, you know, pitcher-for-hitter trades that you hope to make. You keep your fingers crossed, your offense holds up. But, uh, you know what, I'm excited. And, you know something, Patrick, isn't it the great thing about fantasy sports? Whenever we make a trade with any one of our teams, it's like it's like a new world. <laughs> we think we get so excited that you know we're all set. We can't wait for this for the week to start, and uh, so we'll see what happens. And in labor, I'm in the middle of the pack, as uh, some teams are really kicking it. So we'll see what happens there. Uphill battle in labor. You talked about trading, Lenny. Uh, are you, as a general rule, a fairly active trader in your leagues, or do you tend to t- take it pretty close? 
Well, I'm pretty conservative for the most part, but I'm also very aggressive. I mean, I'll try. I made one time. I made a trade during the draft. Right? I'm one of those who'll take a look at my team coming out of the draft, and if I knew, if I know that you know maybe I'm I'm light in a particular category, I'll I'll start approaching that need right away, first day, right out of the box. So I'm not afraid to make that trade. I don't make trades for the sake of making it, and I do believe that if I have a chip. Uh, that I know is uh, is very viable. I will hold on to that chip until I really need it. You know, during the course of the year, we all know that we're all subject to the injury bug. So uh, I'll hold on to my chip until I have to I have to really use it. But other than that, uh, yeah, trades are a part of it, and that's that's really part of the fun as well. So uh, I, I'm aggressive and conservative at the same time. Well, and I think that's important to to realize you have to be both. There are certain situations that pop up with your team that are going to reward you if you take action. And there's also the whole aspect of let's not leap before we look. And the, the trades I regret the most were the ones I made the most quickly. Yes, I agree with that too. But, you know, it's all about the categories. And sometimes uh, I cover up the names of the players, and I just say, look, I, you know, I'm light in stolen bases, I'm light in power, whatever it is, I'm heavy with pitching, and it's all, it's, it's just a mix and match trying to get the right formula. So if there's trade to be made, I don't hesitate to do it, but I don't make them just for the sake of making trades. And of course, in these, in the, in the tout wars and labor leagues, it's, um, it's pretty tough to make the trades where everybody's in fear of having your trade in headlines and trading the guy who turns out to be a superstar. So uh, that's one of the things we're all kind of shying away from. But uh, it's become a lot more of a of a trader-friendly league in the last couple of years. And I think that's a good thing because we should be trying to set an example by making smart trades and then explaining our thinking. Though The one home league that I play in, it's very difficult to make a trade. And the main reason is that when, when anybody makes a trade, everybody else in the league starts weighing in with who won the trade, who lost the trade. <laughs> that's right. I think the greatest trade I ever made was actually voided by the commissioner uh, because I traded, okay, Albert Pujols in his heyday. In exchange, I got Chone Figgins one for one. And uh, the commissioner voided the trade saying somebody was taking advantage of me. <laughs> the truth was is that if you took a look at the stats and it was at the three-quarter mark, I knew that my power was good. Maybe I'd lose a point or two. But I knew the addition of Joan Figgins in his heyday would give me six or seven points of stolen bases. It was that close. It would win me the league. And a lot of controversy ensued. How could, how could somebody trade pulls for Figgins? Well, you know, it's about the categories, Patrick. And if you, can, if you can get the categories you need, cover up the names of the players and just uh, be aggressive and go get them. That's very good advice, Lenny, and I'm still amazed after all these years of rotisserie baseball and how long it's been out there and how long people have been talking about it, how often the fantasy owners in leagues don't understand the implications of the categories in making trades and, and other moves. I'll give you an example, and this is something Baseball HQ Radio listeners have heard before, but many years ago in my home league, I had Mariano Rivera plus other closers, and I was going to win the, the saves category easily, and so I traded Mariano Rivera to another owner in the league. He wasn't going to be a factor in the overall race, but he was at the bottom of a clump of saves, and he shot up past four or five guys in the saves category, and all of those four or five guys 
were owners I was competing with in the overall race. So I won the trade by giving away Mariano Rivera because of the effect on the saves category as far as it affected the overall race. Which reminds me, last year in labor, uh, in the labor league, which I won, the reason I won was I had Steve Moyer as a guest on the show. Uh, I had him on the show, proposed a trade, and bingo, I traded. I got Cameron Mabin and Jason Mott who did absolutely nothing for me except win the league. And the reason was I gave him Jason Hamill, uh, who was uh, traded to uh, Oakland from the Cubs, right. and Javier Baez. People thought I was crazy. Well, Javier Baez cost Steve Moyer two points in batting average. Uh, Jason Hamill cost him one point in the ERA. Um, uh, uh, Mabin and Mott did absolutely nothing for me either way, but I beat Steve Moyer by two points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and it's actually it's pretty brave of Steve and you to get together when you were so close in the overall standings. It's sometimes very difficult to get your nearest competitor in a tight race to deal with you at all. Yeah, I had him on my home ballpark. I had him on the air, so you know it was kind of yeah. it was kind of, But you know what else in that. In that trade, we made the trade on the air. It was about 10 o'clock. And at 1 o'clock, Mabin had an afternoon game. And here I'm strutting around. I got Cameron. I got him. He's going to steal 15 bases for me. And at 1.30 on the same day, Cameron Mabin goes down with an injury. <laughs> and I wound up with an injured Cameron Mabin again. <laughs> so <laughs> Crazy stuff. I couldn't blame Steve. He didn't know he was going to get hurt after the trade. So I wound up with Mabin, but it was the Javier Baez-Jason Hamill part that won it for me. I remember that year I picked up Jason Hamill when he crossed leagues, and uh, uh, I could have taken Samarja or Hamill. I I kind of bet the, the uh, opposite way of what everybody thought and paid for it. <laughs> Lenny, back in the day uh, when fantasy baseball was really just getting its momentum and getting its feet under him, you partnered in experts leagues with another legend of the game, uh, Irwin Zwilling. First of all, Lenny, how did you guys form that ultimately very successful partnership? Well, <laughs> I'll make the story as short as possible, so I hope we have a couple hours. But Irwin and I were in the National Guard together, and he used to go around and say, can I do your taxes? Irwin was a, an accountant with an office in Manhattan, New York. I was a manufacturer of, uh, of, of corrugated boxes with my factory on Long Island, and Irwin did my taxes every day, uh, you know, I mean, every year. And then he finally read an article in the Wall Street Journal and said uh, something about rotisserie baseball. Irwin knew that I was, a, I was a baseball junkie, asked me if I wanted to play it with him. So rather than meeting once a year for the taxes, we began to talk to each other for about a good 10 to 12 years every single day. And we talked every morning at 8 o'clock in the morning. Irwin's office in Manhattan allowed him to get the early edition of the newspapers and the late edition as well. I never got any late editions out on Long Island, so the following morning, Irwin would call at 8 o'clock, and he would read the box scores to me. And I would ask him questions about the box scores, and we would talk about things that batting orders. We would talk about, how about that guy who got an injured leg? Uh, he got caught stealing. That means he was running. That means his leg is not as bad as what it was. We, we dissected that box score looking at players who were making errors, who couldn't afford to make errors because they weren't hitting. Everything that was in the box score, and we always said it was a radio show. And sure enough, in 1993, 
Um, I looked at my floor in, in my bedroom. The newspaper was opened up to an ad. It said, do your own radio show. I went to the station, and little did we know that we made sort of a, a historic moment there. 1993, we did the first radio show called the Rotisserie Sports Hour, the first show geared solely for rotisserie sports, baseball, football, basketball, and, and hockey. And uh, and we did it. And, you know, other people may have been able to do it better, but uh, we did it. And to say that I did the first radio show uh, in 1993 is something that nobody could take away from me and among my proudest moments. And that's how I met Irwin. That's how it all got started. You guys more or less invented a system that came to be called total control drafting, which has been described somewhat simplistically as a two-part process. Uh, part one, know what players you want. Part two, go get them. Uh, let's split the process into the two steps, Lenny. First of all, how do you identify what players you want? Well, let's put it this way. I still I still do it the same way. I don't use an Excel sheet. I do it all by hand the same way. And to this day, every year when I have my sheets on legal pads, I fax it over to Zwilling, and he just laughs for about three and a half hours until he reads it all. Uh, how does it work? Very simple. We take a look at last year. The most important thing is to save the standings from the previous year. So you have a benchmark for what you need to get in all the categories. You don't have to finish first in any category, but you want to be competitive and you want to see what it's going to need. After you do that, you make a list of every player that you feel will be drafted by position. And then you put a dollar amount on every player. Now here's the key. The dollar amounts that you see in the magazines and on the websites may add up to $32,400. But the dollar amounts that, that I do in a 12-team league uh, um, adds up to 12 times 260, right? Which is, uh, I forget what, what the total is. Let's say 3120, 30, 30, Yeah, 3120, that's what it is, right. So it has to add up to 3120 exactly. And sometimes it takes a little tweaking, sometimes every time it takes a little tweaking. But now I have, I have my benchmarks for what the dollar values are. Now, um, from that, I make teams. And, and I make them at random. I'll take this guy. I'll start off with, for example, Paul Goldschmidt at first base for $45. Then I'll take, uh, instead of a uh, $45 first baseman, let's see what it's like to have two $22 players instead of a $45 player. And I'll just play with it. It's the, it's the, it's the best time of the year for me as I experiment with certain teams until I'm happy until I'm happy with the uh, types of players that I have, when I say types, I never hone in on any one. I always make sure that there's alternatives. And even though I may not get that first baseman that I want, I'll still get those stats somewhere. All right, it may be I may get that $40 outfielder instead of the $40 first baseman. So it doesn't have to be a, uh, a classic replacement at first base for Goldschmidt if I don't get him. But I just have to fill the stats until I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable that I could get close to the benchmarks from the prior year. Now, when you're dealing at the, at a competitive auction, I'm thinking especially of experts leagues where everybody has a very solid idea of valuation, a very solid idea of dollar value. They're putting their teams together much in the same way that you're putting your team together. A lot of leagues are like that. So how do you do part two of the plan, which is get the guys you want? You know, that's very interesting. What I'm going to say may shock you. <laughs> well, I'll use, I'll use Todd Frazier as an example. This year, Todd Frazier was the most important player 
for me. I mean, I, I predicted that I projected Frazier to hit 25 to 30 home runs and steal 10 to 15 bases. And I wanted him. I wanted him big time. Uh, those 10 to 15 bases from the corner infielder, I thought were going to be very important for me. And I just fell in love with Todd Frazier. So what I do is, uh, I, in my, in my evaluation in picking out and making these teams, I'll, I'll put Todd Frazier or anybody that I feel is important a couple of dollars higher than what I have him uh, on my sheet. I had Todd Frazier at $25 on my sheet, but on my draft of a team, I projected him for $30, thinking I'm gonna, I made it a little bit tougher on myself. I'll go $30 for Frazier, and then I work around it. As a result... This year, Frazier went for 27 and $28. So I actually, in my thinking during the draft, saved $2 because I would have gone 30 for him. So uh, I do this with every player, every player that is, uh, I won't say irreplaceable, but any player that's tough to replace, I will value higher than I think he will go for, and I'll be prepared to spend a couple of dollars more to get that player, and it's it's worked out. I will tell you, I haven't won every year because sometimes I pick the wrong players, but I will tell you, uh, Patrick, that I can't think of any year that I didn't walk out with the team that I wanted. And to me, that's, you know, that's season one of any fantasy baseball league. Uh, season one is coming out with the team you want. Season two is finding out if you pick the right players <laughs> and making the necessary roster adjustments of course you have to respond to uh situations like uh the adam wainwright injury i have adam wainwright as well in my tout mixed league and uh it's a catastrophic injury if you take something like that but you have to keep soldiering on and that's part of the test of playing the game i guess uh, it's baseball hq radio patrick davitt with lenny melnick and lenny uh in your time in fantasy baseball you said you went all the way back to the very start with that wall street journal article about the first rotisserie baseball league and got involved over that time and that's now we're looking at more than 30 years what do you think has changed the most about fantasy baseball oh well there's been of course you know you come to uh, where we are right now and of course the daily game um, has changed the landscape of fantasy baseball uh, and all fantasy sports but within the framework of what we've been playing for the last 30 years uh, access to information with the advent of RotoWire and Baseball HQ. All of a sudden, Irwin and I didn't have to go to Manhattan, 42nd Street, before the Internet, and go to a newspaper stand that sold out-of-town newspapers, uh, hand the guy 15 bucks, take the newspapers, and the perception was we would buy the newspapers, hand them the money, and then throw them right in the garbage. And the guy couldn't figure out what we were doing. Little did he know, we pulled out the sports section and <laughs> took it home with us. So uh, we didn't have to do that anymore. The information readily available and, of course, you know, the Internet coming out. Well, all, all that's obvious. But I will tell you, you talk about change uh, for the, on the negative. I think the emails and, and the texting and the Twitter uh, and the way we communicate has taken a little bit away from the game. When we first started playing, I remember I get phone calls. Uh, phone calls. Remember the telephone? This fellow named Bell. I have, you, know, inter, you know, he came up with this good invention where you could pick up a phone and you could talk to people in your league and you could uh, network yourself and you could um, actually have a conversation about baseball. And I'll tell you something else, Patrick. 
it 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 helped me in the business world very very much because during the phone calls and the phone conversations the preliminary talk was always um how are you today i love your team and it was always jumbo jumbo and then you got to you know you, you got to know people and the question came up what do you do for a living kind of thing and 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 i would say you know i i make i manufacture corrugated boxes and if they lived in my vicinity, they would say, hey, I use that. Come down to my office and I'll give you an order. Now, usually people would say, come to my office and give me a price. But because of the camaraderie and because of the fact that we actually spoke to each other, uh, it, it really helped me network myself in the business world. And I think because of the emails where people now are much braver just to type a ridiculous trade and the lack of personal communication, I think that's been a negative. And I think of all the things, all the great positive things, I think the most dramatic has been the, the decline in the use of the telephone and the personal and the personal talks that we used to have. You know, and something else along that same line, Lenny, uh, a lot of leagues start off as mine did, and I'm sure as yours did. They have to be geographically concentrated because that's the only way everybody knows each other. And uh, over the years, I can tell you from my own experience in my American League League, the group dispersed. And the illusion in some ways is that because we have the internet, long distance phone, uh, texting and Facebook and what have you, that we are maintaining the league in its same form. And I don't think that's true. And I think you're right. I think what, what gets missed is actual personal contact. You know, I remember back in the day that once a week we would go to the one pizza place in town that had satellite TV and we could pick whatever game we wanted to watch, and seven of us or eight of us in the 12-team league would sit around the table, order a pizza, trash-talk each other's teams, make some deals, you know, give each other the elbow, and turn it into a communal experience beyond just transacting rotisserie baseball business. Oh, absolutely. And I think even today I'm involved in leagues where um – it, as you say, people are scattered all over the country, but we make it a point to get together at some convenient location. doesn't have to be in this. We all get on a plane. We'll get in the car. We'll meet for the weekend. And I'll tell you something. There is nothing better than doing that. Those are the kind of things that I live for. I mean, going to the first pitch forum in Arizona, the most glorious weekend of the year, having my draft at some hotel or someplace, uh, you know, wherever it is, and we get together. Even if we get together once a year, it's uh, there's nothing like it. And I think people are missing out unless you've done a live draft. Uh, I think you're really missing something. So I don't care what you do. Put a note up in your, in your local laundromat or your library. Organize a 10-, 12-team league and get together and have a live draft. There's nothing like it, Patrick. No, there isn't. And it, and it does make a difference to be face-to-face -face with people. Uh, and that is when you're not face-to-face -face with somebody and never are face-to-face -face with them, even if you have a relationship through the Internet, it's not the same thing. And it's easier to be dismissive. It's easier to be contemptuous. It's easier to be mean than it is if you actually ever sit down and break bread with somebody. It just changes the nature of the relationship entirely for the better. Absolutely. And part of the, you know, we all lose track. Of course, the competition of the fantasy sport is just tremendous. That's, we live for that. Not necessarily the, the dollar amount prize, even though we all love, you know, we all love that as well. 
But to me, and I hope this is never lost in whatever format uh, the fantasy sports industry becomes, the camaraderie that and the friendships that I've made over the years, uh, and it's all a result of the face-to-face meetings. And, and uh, to me, that's something that I never planned on. I never planned on that being the, the number one feature in fantasy sports for me has been meeting people, meeting them, not just emailing and texting and Facebooking, but I go out there and I make it a point. There are a lot of people that have been very nice to me along the way, a lot of people that have helped me out along the way, a lot of people I communicate with, and somehow we make it a point of getting together. And to me, even if you have a, a like a winter meeting where you all go somewhere, it's not to be expensive. You all go somewhere and you make trades, all right? Or you have a you know an all star game kind of a, a meeting where the middle of the year you make trades. Uh, you know what? That to me is the be- That's the reason why fantasy sports was so successful at the very beginning because of that kind of thing. I know when we were at First Pitch Arizona last November, you were in the middle of a national tour. You were going all over the place uh, around the U.S. I don't know, into Canada as well, just to meet people and say hi to people and watch some ball. It was absolutely glorious, as I met a lot of people that have been very... I've been talking to people for a while. I've been in the business now. It's my 23rd year. And I've been, and a lot of that's been either on MLB radio or Sirius radio or through my own uh, uh, websites doing podcasts. And I, I've made it my business. I told people, here's where I'm likely to be if you could be close. And I met about 70 or 80 people uh, across the country just meeting them, you know, for an hour or two. And I got to tell you something, Patrick. It was the best trip that we've traveled from New York. We went out to California. We went um, back down through uh, Texas and New Orleans and hit Florida on the way home and drove up the coast, stopped to see people wherever they were. And um, I'm going to do it again this year because to me, there's nothing like it. And it was just fantastic. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Lenny Melnick. Lenny is a longtime fantasy player. What do you think of these new stats, the more detailed, granular stats that are coming into the game, like StatCast and the stuff we get from Baseball Info Solutions and so forth? Uh, you know what? It, it's <laughs> I wish I could understand it all, to tell you the truth. But, yeah, I, 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 of course, I, you have to love it. But, you know, it's getting to the point that it's almost that you don't have to play the game. You can just take the numbers and, oh, this is what's going to happen, right? So, But I love it. I use batting average with balls in play. I use that a lot. But I combine that. You see, people don't even realize, people don't uh, really think it through, this big, uh, batting average, balls in play. It can have a lot of different meanings. You have to really understand exactly what these stats mean. Also, the um, uh, hard hit rate which is something new that's been developed. I, com- I kind of combine that with batting average and balls in play. But to me, Patrick, I'm a guy that will sit, you know, in the Arizona Fall League, and I'll take a look at certain players. I'll take a look at Josh Vitters, uh, who's supposed to be something with the Chicago Cubs, and I'll say, this guy doesn't have it. I'll take a look at Matt Laporta, who was supposed to be somebody, and I'll say, this guy doesn't have it. Or I'll take a look at a guy like Reed Brignac. All these guys were supposed to be stars, but I take a look, and I kind of rely on my own sense of, of, uh, of a feel for a player just based on his presence. I'll never forget when I saw Brian Dozier only a couple of years ago. I said to my friend, 
It's unbelievable. This guy reminds me of Derek Jeter. I mean, every time he gets a hit, he rounds first, and all he needs is a slight bobble, and bingo, he's on to second base. Unlike Josh Vitters, who I saw him hit balls into the gap, and he stopped at second. Never even thought about going to third. Those little things, that's that's what I love, the old-fashioned way of taking a look at a player. And I, I think the first player... You you know this guy because he was a Montreal Expo. Uh, Javier Vasquez. The first time I saw Javier Vasquez pitch, I said to his willing, "We got to get him." Simple as that. We got to get him. And after that, I've kind of, I've kind of, I love to do it that way. But yes, you're right. The stats have really, have really made it a lot. Uh, it's really changed the game. And if you if you pay attention to the stats, especially with the daily game, you know the splits and the trends and all that stuff, it, it it's become a very important part of the industry. Yeah, I remember. Uh... Being at First Pitch Arizona watching Reed Brignac, who was a very highly touted prospect at the time, and sitting in the stands, and I remember thinking when I was watching him, this guy looks like he doesn't care what he's doing yes, out there. That's and exactly whether... why. It wasn't because of his swing. It was just he looked. He, he carried himself like a loser, right? And as yeah. soon as I saw Andrew McCutcheon step on the field, my only question was, how good is he going to be? That I can't tell you, but I know it's going to be good. So, yes, you're absolutely right. It's field presence. It's presence on the field. And I've seen so many of them. Uh, even Ike Davis, who I thought I was wrong. Matt, Matt Toyasapopo was another guy. And I'm not a scout, but I could tell this guy swung. Look, I looked like it took him 30 seconds just to get the bat around. There, he had a very slow swing. I could tell. I remember sitting behind home plate. And every time Hayden Penn threw a pitch, he was a big prospect for the Orioles. I tapped yep. my friend on the side, and I said, here comes an off-speed pitch. And sure enough, there it was. So, you know, those are the kind of things that I just love. And I would never give those things up. I'll take my own instincts, and I'll put them ahead of any number. Because sometimes I wonder what came first, the player and his ability or the numbers. So I don't know. It's hard. Sometimes it's hard to figure. I remember a couple of years ago going to a game. It wasn't an all-star game or anything like that. And uh, coming up to the plate one after the other on the same team, Bryce Harper and Mike Trout. And in both cases, you could, again, you could just see leaving aside the statistics and the obvious performance that we were seeing looked like they knew what they were doing out there and like they had a plan. And it was such a obvious difference between them and most of the other guys in that Arizona Fall League that, of course, you immediately turn your attention to, am I ever going to have an opportunity to draft either of these guys? And, uh, of course, in, in most leagues, they're pretty well scouted anyway, but it was pretty obvious. Now, what do you make of Bryce Harper's breakout this year? You know, it was only a matter of time, and whether we, it was going to be this year or next year, you know it's going to come. I mean, this guy, we forget, he's, he's younger than Chris Bryant. Goodness sake, right? So, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not surprised. He was absolutely undervalued this year in a lot of drafts. There were some people who even thought he might be a disappointment. But it was only a matter of time for Harper, so I am not surprised by his success. And uh, the, the, the only question I have is how good can he be? That's all. I just don't know. Uh, you know, if he, um, some people may complain he's not running as much, but Bryce Harper is a complete player. And the question will be uh, who ultimately will be better, Bryce Harper or Mike Trout? And that's, uh, that's like uh, when I grew up, who's better, Willie, Mickey, or the Duke? 
And, and I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I just think Bryce Harper's going to win that race in the long run if he stays healthy. He's got a two-year head start on Mike Trout, and uh, and as good as Trout has been, that two-year lag in age, I think, is going to end up making all the difference. He's going to have a, probably at least a two-year longer career, if nothing else. It's going to be, it's going to be great to watch, and uh, and there are other young players coming up, which is uh, always fun and exciting as well. Lenny, when you're looking, you mentioned earlier, you look at the hitters, you look at the pitchers in planning. What's your go-to stat for a hitter and your go-to stat for a pitcher when you're assessing them in season? I don't really have a go-to stat. I just take a look at what they've been doing and what they're capable of doing based upon their three-year career, the last three years. And it's all, again, it goes back to the, uh, the old saying, in season, it's all, it's all about the stats. It's all about the categories that we need for my own teams. Uh, I don't really watch a tremendous amount of baseball. I'll, you know, uh, because I like, to, I like to fiddle around. I guess I do watch more than I think, but I'm never watching one game at a time. I'm always going, you know, just all around the dial. I read a lot. I read a lot of the out-of-town newspapers to see what the sports writers are writing about. I speak to a lot of sports writers every day, and I learn about the players. Uh, but as far as the go-to status is concerned, uh, you know, I, I don't really have one, Patrick, that I really rely on. Uh, the stats that I look at are the stats that I need to make my fantasy baseball teams better, and whether they be the stolen base, the strikeout, or whatever it is, those are the stats, the really foundation stats, as you'll, as you'll call them. Lenny, uh, you won the Tout Wars Weekly Experts Daily Game a couple of Fridays back. Uh, you're consistently in the leaderboard. And one of the keys at the time was that you were the only Tout out of 42 entrants who took Kendris Morales. Now, I know this is going back uh, a little wild, but do you remember why did you pick a guy like Morales? Well, I'll tell you what, it wasn't an accident. You know, I had uh, learned, as I am learning about the Daily Game, that when you take an, an, uh, a, uh, a lesser-named first baseman, uh, you're missing out on the good guys. And then I took a look at Kendris Morales, and I noticed at the time he had gotten a hit in uh, 32 out of 37 games. He was hitting over 300, and he was number two in the league in RBI. <laughs> so I said, you know, I could use this. I could use a little value at first base because it's all about getting everybody under the cap. He was actually mm-hmm. one of the last, even though I wanted him. I knew I could get him, so I wanted to see who else I could get. And sure enough, I plugged him in at the end. But he was not, it was not an afterthought. This is a guy that I know uh, for first baseman. He was relatively cheap on FanDuel. And I put him in. And uh, I was just hoping to, not, uh, uh, to get the 15 points that he produced. But if he would have produced, if he would have gotten a single, double, maybe an RBI, and produced you know, five to seven points, that's all I was looking for. So as it turns, as it turns out, that was the day that he came up with a big day, 15 points, a little bit more than I expected. But yeah, I use Kendrick Morales quite a bit. I think he's a very good uh, value play in the daily game every day because every day he does something. Uh, it's rare that a day goes by that he doesn't get at least a single, and that's pretty good. Don't forget, Mike Trout can go 0 for 4, 0 for 6. Morales, you know, he doesn't have a lot of those days. So uh, I think we should all start paying attention to guys that are consistent and show up with something every day. 
I haven't looked into this in detail, but I think another guy who fits that general description, uh, somebody whose name came up a little earlier, Paul Goldschmidt never seems to take an O for it if you count walks. Absolutely. Last night, what did he get on base? Seven times? Seven for eight. <laughs> so yep. that was a, maybe a little bit of an outlier. Yeah, but Goldschmidt's on base. You know, it's, it's, it's very hard. I, I, I enjoy the daily game a lot, and I know it's changing the landscape of fantasy baseball. It's uh, uh, perhaps changing the way we used to play the game, changing the game that I grew up with, the game that I love so dearly. Uh, but I don't have sour grapes because I'm playing this game. And, you know, whether it be this game or any game, to me, I'm not a fantasy, I'm not a rotisserie guy. I'm a baseball guy, Patrick. And when I do a podcast of my own, I'll tell you something. I don't gear it towards fantasy baseball. I don't gear it towards the daily game. I gear it towards baseball. And when you listen to a podcast that I do, if you're interested in getting information about your daily game, you can pick out things that I say. You can use that. If you're interested in getting information about your season-long league, you can listen to the podcast and you can you can pick out whatever you want. You know, but it's all about baseball. It's about where a guy's batting in the batting order, who's hot, who's cold, who's making errors that can't afford to make errors because he's not hitting, how many pitches a pitcher pitched to get through five innings. We think he had a great game, but he threw 120 pitches. It's not a great game if he only went – five innings. That's the kind of stuff that I love, and it goes back to the opening question. That's the phone call that Erwin and I used to make at 8 o'clock in the morning. Lenny, when it comes to daily fantasy baseball, what do you think are the key factors in putting together your team every day? I don't claim to be an expert, but the first thing I do is I look at the pitchers, and I put the top pitchers, I put the middle pitchers, and I put the bottom pitchers. And then I take from the top pitchers, that's the pitcher that I'm going with, and I have no problems with going with a Clayton Kershaw or, or, or a Madison Bum or anybody who's the number one guy. I don't care how much he costs. That's the most important thing for me. And then I'll look at the bottom tier pitchers. Could be three, four, five. I will then try to pick the hitters who are going against those pitchers. But I'll dissect it a little bit more. I'll take the hitters that are playing at home that are going against those pitchers. I'll take them first. And then I will take, uh, I'll take a look and see who are the left-handed pitchers from the bottom feed of pitchers. And I'll go with those right-handed hitters like Ryan Rayburn, who hit that home run last night, right-handed hitter against the left-handed pitcher. Trevor Plouffe, Chris Young from the Yankees. There are certain right-handed hitters that don't cost very much that are just magnificent against the lefties, and that's basically how. And then I fill in, then I fill in. But those, but, but that's been the formula. And I got to tell you, I'm having a ball. Absolutely having a ball playing this. Uh, and that's my a little. You remember what the Cliff Notes uh, used to be? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. sure. Yeah, Cliff. You didn't have to read the book. You just read the Cliff Notes, right? <laughs> well, you know, all the guys who are really in this uh, for a living spend a good a good chunk of time during the course of the day doing a lot more than I just outlined. But that's my little cliff note. All right, that's what I do: separate the pitchers, pick the I pick the hitters from the bottom feet of pitchers. I try to, you know, I try to uh, see who the left-handed pitchers are, so I could pick those right-handed hitters out. And that's how my lineup goes. And I'll tell you something: I have been very. I've won 21 of my last 25 games. That I played on FanDuel, so I'm on a hot streak. 
That that's really good, uh, Lenny. You said you like the home hitters. Uh, I've heard and read from various experts that it's slightly advantageous to get a, a road hitter because he's sure to bat in the ninth. I know that they preach that. I know that these uh, some of the uh, experts preach that if a guy is not batting in the top six of the batting order, that extra at bat, I'm sure it does mean something, Patrick. And I'm sure there's a lot more that I haven't even touched that means something. But if you're going to analyze all that every day, and this is one of the things about the daily game that, quite frankly, I don't get. As much as I enjoy playing it, and people don't know this, but I was the first one, along with Tony Sincata and Paul Greco, to bring the Daily Game to Sirius Radio five years ago. As a matter of fact, we had even uh, started preliminary negotiations to buy FanDuel five years ago. All right, uh, so I'm I'm an advocate. I really I really enjoy it, uh, but the time it takes if you're going to play this every day or three times a week. It's, uh, it scratches my head that people who work nine-to-five jobs come home and have that family, have the kids, the wife, the whole deal, could actually spend that kind of time uh, playing this game. And if you don't spend this kind of time, then what are you doing? It's like buying, it's like buying a lottery ticket. I mean, you're competing against people that are, that are doing it. Or do you just listen to a podcast of your favorite expert and play the team that he's playing? Well, right. that's, you know, that's not playing the game. That's the expert playing the game. So I don't know. I still have my doubts as to, as to really what's going on here. I just can't believe that people could spend that kind of time playing it. And I think in the long run we'll find out because I think there's a lot more losers there than there are winners. And once the novelty wears off, let's see where it takes us. But meanwhile, I'm having fun. I'm enjoying it, and uh, perhaps have, perhaps my cliff note formula will actually uh, actually cut down the time we have to spend to prepare for the daily game on a daily basis. Well, they say that th- that kind of uh, the the approach that you're advocating is going to likely to be more successful in the cash split type games, fifty fifties, yeah. and so forth. I, that's I don't play the tournaments. Yeah, that's just the uh, recruiting of you can win a million dollars, right? Right. That's that. That's all the recruiting process. To me, instead of saying, "Here's where I think they made a mistake," and instead of saying, "Win a million dollars, and you can win, and we give away two and a half million every week," yeah, why don't they say, "You know, start with fifty dollars, and by the end of the year, you may have a thousand." If you play, yeah, that's a good idea. It's a it's a more realistic marketing approach. But of course, everybody wants the uh, the shot at a million or whatever, which is uh, again, it's pr- fairly akin to buying the lottery ticket, as you say. Uh, I remember at First Pitch Arizona last year they had a, a panel dedicated to uh, to the daily game, and uh, on the panel, I think Derek Cardi was on the panel, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and Dave Potts, who did win a million dollars playing. So maybe uh, actually, I think he won three hundred thousand in another contest. As well. Yes, a very good friend of mine is David. And a fine player. And one of the points that they made, Todd Zolo is there too, and one of the points that all three of them made in the course of talking about what it takes to be successful is it's a lot more work than you think and probably, almost certainly, a lot more work than playing regular, traditional, season-long fantasy baseball because any day you're going to be in it, you have to buckle down. Dave Potts, I think, said he puts in six to eight hours every day before he puts his teams in. There's no question, and it may not be six to eight, but surely just to put a team in, 
it's probably uh, 45 minutes to an hour. Then you've got to monitor the lineups when they come out, if you put the team in in the morning, to make sure that your players are actually playing. And then you've got to make sure of the weather. You take uh, all those things, put the lineup in, uh, making sure the players are in the line. Sometimes you don't know till like 6 o'clock or 5.30, and, you, and sometimes you're guessing. Like last night, I wanted to play Justin Upton or Matt Kemp, but I would dare to put them in my lineup with the game starting at 9 o'clock, and I had to put it in by the afternoon. So I, couldn't even, I didn't even play those players. Uh, but those three elements, the weather, the lineups, and just the time it takes to figure out your, your team, it, 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 does, it takes a pretty decent amount of time, and I really wonder how many people are really have the ability to do that. So we'll see how that pans out. Because, you know, if you remember, the biggest criticism that um, I can think of between the, uh, playing fantasy football and fantasy baseball always has been the ease of playing the game. Not that it's an easier game, but the ease, fantasy football. You put your lineup in, and so people talked about that for years, and all of a sudden those same people are now willing to put in an hour every day. Something doesn't make sense here. Okay. <laughs> it's definitely not as easy as people think to make a lot of money. I think one of the advantages of having the those kind of sharks floating around is that very few of them are actually in the one and two dollar games because they're making a living at it and they can't do that playing a dollar at a time or two dollars at a time. So I think as far as the likelihood of you being in competition against Dave Potts in a $2 league are pretty remote. He's just, it's not a big enough game for him, right? No, you're right. You're right. Look, I have a lot of fun playing it. A lot of people that I talk to have a lot of fun playing it. Um, make the effort to find the format that suits your needs. Make the effort to understand that maybe you won't win a million dollars. Maybe you'll win 50 bucks. Right, what's the difference? If you're having fun playing the game, uh, and you want to win. You know, the only thing that I don't like about the daily game is that I'm a competitor. Now, in the season-long game, there's only one day that somebody says you lost. <laughs> That's the last day of the year. That's right. We always have hope until then. But at the day, I'm having a hard time getting used to the fact that three times a week somebody says you lost. <laughs> that's the hard part. Once I get over that, I'll enjoy it even more. But uh, I think there's a place for everything. There's a place for the daily game, the season long, and certainly the place for the uh, for the uh, monthly game that uh, you know Ron Chandler has developed. And I think that's just great. So uh, between the three, find the format that you like the best and play it. And I don't care if it's gambling, it's not gambling. Who cares? If you want to play it and you're having fun, then just do it and just have fun with it. Do you uh, play the uh, season-long formats that aren't rotisserie, like salary cap or uh, strato, things like that? No, I really don't, although Stratomatic, Hal Richmond is a dear friend of mine for many years, and I used to play Stratomatic in the Stratomatic building as, as Hal was developing the game. I would, spend, I would spend time there just making sure that the numbers came out right. Right, so based upon what he had, I you know so that, that goes back many many years ago. Uh, actually, to tell you the truth, Patrick, since I've been on Sirius and started with the websites, I probably get a good fifty to seventy-five questions every day uh, about other people's leagues, and uh, as a result, my except for Talwars and Labor, my leagues have become secondary. <laughs> they really yeah. have. 
And, uh, you know, I'm so worried about I'm not worried, but I've, I'm so into all the leagues or the people that are relying on me for help that every once in a while I realize, well, gee, you know, I forgot to make here, here I uh, I'm touting Sean Tollison as the Texas closer, and then I realize, why didn't I pick him up? Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. So, uh yeah, it's, it's things like that. I don't have as many leagues. I only play in like three or four leagues right now, with Tout Wars and Labor being two of them. And and it's it's interesting. Going back to your question about how do I get the players that I want, uh, believe it or not, and I forgot to mention this, because this was the shocking part that I alluded to, it's easier in the expert leagues for me to get the Todd Frazier's that I want, because the experts know the boundaries. They know that you don't spend $35 for a Todd Frazier, as an example. They know you don't spend $70 on Mike Trout. But in the house leagues, no matter how long these guys are playing, you never know where they're going to go. There's always one guy who, if he wants a player, he puts his head down, and I'll go 50, he'll go 51, he'll go 52. So it's easier. In the expert leagues, They're actually it's actually in one way easier to get my players the tough part in the expert league is that I don't care what player it is. I don't care how deep he was in the minor leagues coming into the season. These experts in labor and talent, they know every player. But they also know the boundaries on how far you can go in spending uh, during the draft. And to me, that's an advantage. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. You can't sneak anybody past Jeff Erickson, uh, no matter how hard you try. <laughs> that's just it. Uh, Nobody. They all know them all. And when I brought up Raciel Iglesias this year and somebody went two on him, I said, what? You don't even know who he is. <laughs> and JT Real Muto I brought up. And I got so I got him in, in, in tout. Uh, as this year, I came up with, this is my best year so far in coming up with players that I didn't think anybody knew about. And back in November, Jace Peterson, uh, Rasiel Iglesias, JT Real Muto, and uh, Odebill Herrera were almost unknown. But by the time the drafts were around, I had a very hard time getting them in the expert leagues. In some of the house leagues, you know, people shied away from them. But in the expert leagues, there were bidding wars on these guys. Yeah, that's uh, the interesting thing. You say a name that you think uh, is going to be a $1 get easily, and four different guys will yell out $2 right away, and you think, oh, my goodness. It's crazy. It's crazy. I was lucky. I got Jace Peterson in both Towers and Labor, but I had a fight for him. I didn't get him cheap. And to be very honest with you, I wasn't prepared for that. So I thought I'd get him for a dollar or two. No, I think I had to go four or five to get a guy that uh, I felt obligated because when I tell people how much I love them, and if I don't get them, I don't feel like I'm doing them a service. So there's a certain pressure on touting players strongly and trying to, you know, trying to make a name for yourself. Hey, listen, yeah. you know, anybody can tell you Mike Trout is good. But how many people could tell you that uh, J.T. Realmuto is going to steal your bases this year because he stole 18 last year in the minors? Well, I bid on him in Tower Wars, and I got him. So, uh, you know, there's a certain obligation you have to your followers. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Lenny Melnick. And Lenny, you mentioned that you are a multimedia guy. You're a regular at SiriusXM. You have your own podcast. Lay out everything that you're doing. Ah. Uh. It's going to lay me out pretty soon if I keep doing all this stuff. But certainly uh, on Sirius XM, the Fantasy Sports Channel, Saturday and Sunday, although I'm going to start uh, you know, laying off because they feel that uh, comes June, it's football. 
so the baseball part has been dwindling, but I'll, I'll be there 7 to 10 Saturday and Sunday. But it's my daily podcast on Blog Talk Radio, and pretty soon I'll be forming my own website uh, along with Andrea Lamont, and uh, we're going to be doing the podcast over there. The quality will be better. But I plan on doing that podcast every day throughout the year. I may miss a Saturday or a Sunday, but it's going to be baseball all year round. I do it now every morning at 9 o'clock on Blog Talk Radio. And if anybody needs any further information, you can always email me at LennyMelnick at gmail.com or hit me up at Twitter at Lenny Melnick. But I do it every morning. I go around the horn talking about every team and every single thing that that team has done the day before. Uh, changes in batting orders, all the stuff that Zwilling and I did, we're still doing the same kind of talk, really dissecting everything that's going on every single day. And for me, it's it's absolutely a labor of love. I love it. And it's only 30 minutes, and I managed to get the entire league in, and uh, usually the chat room is full. And to me, there's nothing like it. If there's one thing that I think I was born to do, it's that podcast. And I'm doing it every day. And then Andrea and I also have our own little uh, little podcast that we do once a week. So it's, uh, it's, it's my labor of love, and I love to do it. Well, it's good you have all these avenues. It's one good thing about the technology. We talked earlier about how it sometimes has a tendency to divide people and, and isolate one from the other. But in another way, as you're proving, the technology is also a very effective way of bringing people together in a communi- in a virtual community, but a very real community nonetheless. Oh, there's no question about it. The fantasy people, as I said, the camaraderie that I had early on in my career, uh, uh, helped me in various ways, networking myself through my business and, and the whole deal. And um, I'll tell you, you know, we just have to remember that we're all very lucky. If you can participate in fantasy sports and remember what it's all about, it's an extension of uh, our base, our love for baseball and our love for the baseball cards that we used to have. And uh, to think that we can still do it and still play the little boys game uh, and still love Major League Baseball and know the batting orders and know who plays third base in Seattle. Uh, to me, if we're fortunate enough to do it, we really got to take a step back and say, man, we are lucky as heck to have the diversion to get away from the daily problems of life. And uh, that's really that's really why it all started. Well said, Lenny. Uh, Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Lenny Melnick. And uh, Lenny, during the season, I always ask our expert guest to give us some studs and duds from both leagues. Uh, any rationale you want to attach to it is fine. If you want to explain it, that's fine too. But in general, you're just looking for like good players who are going to be good and bad players who are going to get good and that kind of thing. Uh, let's start in the American League with a hitter, and let's look for a stud. Who do you think is a stud hitter in the American League we ought to be looking at? Well, the stud has been Stephen Vogt, who absolutely hit in 322. And, you know, I take a look at the studs and duds, and I say, well, who are the guys we didn't pay for in our drafts who are killing it? And, you know, people still, they say, who is this guy? You know? And is he going to keep it up? Yeah, he'll keep it up. And the reason he'll keep it up is because in the off season he made a big-time change to his swing. Now, he's not a youngster. He's 30 years old. But, he, you know, he had an uppercut swing that he kind of not only leveled off, but actually started swinging on a downward plane. And all of a sudden, the ball really started taking off. And any time you see a player who makes that kind of an adjustment um, and it works, you really got to pay attention to that. So Stephen Vogt, he's my American League stud. 
It's funny you should mention him right after we talked about trying to sneak a guy through a, a Tout Wars draft. <laughs> St- Stephen Vogt was one of my sleepers for the end of the end of the draft, and I even kept a couple of extra dollars. And uh-huh. you know, I uh, and uh, at at the towards the end of the draft, I kind of real casually say, "Oh, I'll try this Stephen Vogt in in Oakland right. for a buck." Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I think he ended up going for twelve dollars. So yeah, it's pretty pretty tough to sneak guys by. But Stephen Vote is having a terrific year. How about a hitter in the National League, Lenny? A stud you like? Well, you know, I'm in uh, New York, and I take a look at Lucas Duda, and I realize he doesn't get any kind of recognition across the country. Maybe it's because he's got a funny sounding name, and when you say Duda, you sing that song, Camp Town Races, and all that stuff. Right. Uh, but here's a guy hitting almost three hundred with nine home runs. And if you pay attention to him, you'll notice that this is not just a, a, a fluke. His, his fly ball to home run rate has not changed in the last couple of years. Uh, he's just learning how to play the game. And when a guy can hit 400 against lefties, and him being a left-handed hitter, and hit 300 overall, and he's got nine home runs, he hit 30 last year, he's not getting the respect. And he's not. He's, this guy is somebody that you absolutely go after because still there's a window of opportunity to get a guy that's going to hit 30 home runs and get him, I won't say cheap, but get him at value. And and make a fair trade for him. So to me, Lucas Duda is the National League stud. And uh, turning over to the duds, let's go back to the American League. Who's a hitter you think uh, that qualifies as a dud? Uh, it's, I don't think. Listen, I think this is about the easiest. You know, to say Robinson Cano in the American League. I don't know what's going on with Robinson Cano. Although he's six, uh, not including yesterday, six for his last twenty-one. I think yesterday went 0 for 4, so that would make him 6 or 20. There's no sign, except he had a home run the other day. He missed a couple of games due to some kind of an illness or a tooth infection or something. But uh, he doesn't appear to be uh, shaking it up. You know, when Andrew McCutcheon started making his move, you could tell, you know, a hit here, a hit there, two hits here. I'm not seeing that with Robinson Cano. So uh, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know why. But, uh, you know, I mean, we see guys like Chase Utley. He's starting to hit the ball. We see guys like uh, uh, Adam LaRoche starting. He's 10 for 30. Utley is 15 for 43. Uh, Polanco, 8 for 21. Uh, Ian Desmond's on a streak. I don't see that from Cano. So it's it's a little concerning to see what's to think that Stephen Drew has more home runs and RBIs than Robinson Cano. Now, come on, Patrick. That's got to scare you, right? Oh no, kidding! And think of all the people out there who spent, you know, upwards of thirty dollars at a draft. Uh, I know in our league, which is a keeper league, so there's inflation, but well over thirty dollars. And uh, man, they must be shaking their heads looking at Robinson Cano's performance. <laughs> I think so. How about in the National League, Lenny, a dud hitter? Gotta go with Cargo, man. I mean, I don't know what the story is. Is there? You know, uh, as I mentioned, all these guys who were showing signs, Cargo's not showing anything. Uh, he's not even, you know, I mean, he's, I can't believe for one second that uh, Carlos Gonzalez is not banged up. Just, it's just not, it's not being talked about. It has to be. This guy can't be this, he can't be this bad. And I don't see any signs of him coming out. So my, my dud in the, uh, in the National League has to be, has to be Carlos Gonzalez. Lenny Melnick's uh, stud hitters, Stephen Vogt and Lucas Duda. His duds are Robinson Cano and Carlos Gonzalez. Lenny, let's move over to the mound. Uh, let's look again at the American League for a stud pitcher. Jacob Odorizzi, who to me actually came out of nowhere. Uh, his last 11 starts, he's gone at least six innings. 
And it's just that if he had any run support, he'd be among the league leaders in wins. So let's not get you know let's not get caught up in that. So to me, Jake Adarizzi, who came out of I won't say nowhere, there were some people that looked at him in the off season. He was touted here or there, but I think he's really emerging as as one of the top pitchers in the American League, and that may be a little surprising. I'm just doing some research, Lenny, for a Baseball HQ research study on how predictive it is for a, for a pitcher to have a sequence of very good starts as measured by BaseballHQ.com's PQS measure. And uh, while I was uh, putting the data together, at one point I looked at, just happened to catch my eye, this long string of really good starts, and I looked over to see who it was, and it was Jake Odorizzi. He's not winning games, but he's pitching real well. Yeah, at least six innings, 11 starts in a row. So uh, that says it all right there. Not many people, not many pitchers go six innings, but eleven in a row. That tells you how good he is. That's right. It's a it's a small group. Uh, how about in the National League, a stud pitcher? Well, look, Shelby Miller came out of nowhere. Came up with a new pitch in the off season. Uh, you know, I think we kind of lost touch with Shelby Miller during the playoffs a couple of years ago, and the Cardinals didn't pitch him. And we either said, "What's wrong with him?" or or maybe Miller's not what. Uh, um, you know, he he was expected to be. But Shelby Miller, and also, i got to tell you, the other guy, Miller, I'm just impressed with his numbers. And Atlanta's always had a reputation of developing pitchers, so perhaps that's been a part of it as well. But I'm watching Carlos Martinez pitch. He's got 21 scoreless innings in a row now. And this guy is lights out. Boy, when he gets it together, and I think he's getting it together, the only question about Carlos Martinez may be how many innings will they allow him to go this year. But as as a stud in the National League, to say that uh, 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 Shelby Miller kind of speaks for himself, but Carlos Martinez is, is kind of sneaking up on us as becoming another very quiet stud. Carlos Martinez, one of the few bright spots on my tout mix team, got him for a buck. Uh, how about if we move to the American League and uh, dud pitcher? Well, you got to say, unfortunately, it seems that it's all all pretty much done for R.A. Dickey, uh, giving up 22 earned runs and four starts. And I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's only thrown three out of ten games uh, less than three runs. So, you know, I'm putting all that together on a team that we expected uh, some pretty big things Toronto, but that pitching staff is absolutely, even Hutchinson is not living up to what we thought. Of course, the, the Stroman injury uh, really hurt. Aaron Sanchez, who knows what he is. Uh, and, of course, R.A. Dickey. I think, I think we've seen the best of R.A. Dickey. I was looking at Aaron Sanchez the other day because I got offered him in a trade uh, 37 walks, 39 strikeouts. Not that great. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. And yet, when he comes out of the bullpen, he manages manages to harness, uh, you know, his his control. Uh, I do think he's more of a two pitch pitcher uh, with the ability to throw more than two pitches, uh, and he he does throw that as a starter, but he he doesn't have the command uh, of the other pitches. He may have the pitches, but he doesn't have the command of them. That's why when he comes out of the bullpen, he doesn't have to use his entire arsenal. He can get away with two pitches. A lot of relief pitchers do. So um, I wonder where he winds up. If he if he can't uh, curtail the walks, I wouldn't be surprised if he still winds up as the closer, very much like Dylan Betances. He could be that dominant. Yeah, he did look much, much better as a reliever, even as a rookie last year. He was dominant with that two-pitch mix. Because the, con- the, the starters can't get away with two pitches. Right. So he's got to throw in that third and fourth pitch that he probably hasn't developed yet, and he can't get it over the plate. 
and that's been the problem. If he could just throw one or two pitches as a closer coming in the ninth inning, I think he could be great. So, but then again, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and the possibility exists. Aaron Sanchez, he's only what twenty-two or something like that. So it could be a work in progress for Toronto. They may think, you know, give this guy a year to develop that third pitch and and another year to develop that fourth one, and by the time he's twenty-five. Uh, you know he'll be a really good starter, and they'll lose him to free agency. Uh, and finally, uh, National League dud pitcher Lenny. Well, Julio Teran uh, carried my team at the beginning of last year, and then fell off the earth. And you know I'm noticing, of course, uh, his ERA is close to five. His WHIP is one point five. He only has one win in his last five starts, and he has been, as far as I'm concerned, awful. Uh, and one of the reasons is it was even reported last year that his velocity is down a little bit, but it's even more than that. I watch him pitch it, and I can't really, it's hard to tell on TV, but the, you know, the, the, even the announcers will say the fastball is straight, and he can't get, he doesn't have a decent breaking pitch. So even though he's a talented kid who, uh, I, I gotta believe there's something else that, that, that people don't know about. There's something that's, uh, keeping him from becoming the dominant pitcher that he was. It's something with the velocity. I don't know if he's if he's hiding some kind of an ailment or something, but he's got that straight fastball. He doesn't have that decent breaking pitch, and his velocity is down. As a result, you got an ERA of close to five and a whip of one and a half, and that's not going to win you any fantasy championships. Lenny Melnick's pitchers, American League stud is Jake Odorizzi in the National League, Shelby Miller and Carlos Martinez. His duds are a Dickey and Julio Terran. Uh, geez, Lenny, this has absolutely been a gas. Uh, tell us again where listeners can keep up with Lenny Melnick, your website, your podcasts, your series, all that stuff. Hit me up at Twitter, at Lenny Melnick. My email address, uh, listen, I'll even take phone calls, but that's another story. Hit me up, LennyMelnick at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to talk to you. we work out a way where we can speak on the telephone, which was invented by a guy named Bell many, many years ago. People, Some people still use it. I'm one of them. And, of course, on Blog Talk Radio, 9 o'clock every morning Eastern Time, uh, I do my daily podcast. Andrew Lamont and I uh, had a podcast going once a week, but that will be resuming in the next couple of days so that's at blog talk and of course it's serious uh saturday and sunday morning from 7 a.m to 10 a.m eastern time uh certainly for the next couple of weeks while there's still baseball and uh and then you, you never know i got my website popping up and when that uh, happens uh, i'll be sure to notify everybody you can also hit me up on facebook um, I'm right that some people say i live there but i don't really <laughs> live there oh yes i do i don't know <laughs> so, we'll see but you can find me just shout out the front window and I'll hear you Lenny thanks a million for doing this I appreciate you taking the time from all your other activities it's been an absolute gas and I'll certainly catch up with you again later in the year as well absolutely I expect to sit at a game with you this year in Arizona again absolutely thanks again Lenny okay kid thanks there's no truth to the rumor whatsoever that Lenny Melnick had Duke Snyder on his first fantasy baseball team, but he's been around the game for a very long time. He's won tons of expert league championships, and as you heard, he talks about the game on SiriusXM and at Blog Talk Radio. Check out Lenny Melnick. It's a lot of fun. Uh, next up, our Baseball HQ commentaries, the Minor League Minute, Playing Time, and Frequent Flyers, all coming up at Baseball HQ Radio. Ventura is waiting. McGlinchey staring in, has his sign. A 2-1 pitch. The drive in the air to deep right field. That ball headed toward the wall. That ball is out of here. Out of here. A game-winning grand slam home run. 
off the bat of Robin Ventura. Ventura with a grand slam. They're mobbing him before he can get to second base. The Mets have won the ball game. Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. BaseballHQ.com is ready to keep you ahead of the game all season long with content like the Facts and Fluke Spotlight. This week, Ray Murphy has an in-depth look at Boston right-hander Rick Porcello. Our playing time today and tomorrow coverage includes Sean Doolittle returning to the DL, Steven Strasburg going on to the DL, roster movement in the AL East, and much more. And in his Market Pulse column, Matt Cedarholm has the worst pun yet in his headline, but really good coverage of the new Texas closer Sean Tolleson, Atlanta outfielder Cam Mabin. We heard about him from Lenny Melnick. And Washington right-hander Tanner Rourke. BaseballHQ.com updates content every day across a wide range of great information and tools like our Buyer's Guide Skills Assessment Columns, Performance Validation in Facts and Flukes, those roster changes in playing time today and tomorrow, as well as daily matchups, team coverage, minor league scouting, and our projections and other roster management tools that you can use to help you dominate your league. And it's all only at the website with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is BaseballHQ.com. Time now for our regular Tuesday commentaries. Coming up, we have playing time and frequent flyers comments. And leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And here with a report on Philly's right-handed pitching prospect Aaron Nola is BaseballHQ.com Minor Leagues analyst Rob Gordon. The Philadelphia Phillies continue to languish in the cellar of the NL East and are already 10 games behind the first-place Washington Nationals. While the team has struggled in all phases of the game, their starting pitching has been particularly suspect, posting a 4.42 team ERA, 13th worst in the NL, and that includes Cole Hamill's 2.91 ERA and Aaron Harang's 2.01 ERA. One potential beneficiary of the Phillies' lackluster rotation could be top pitching prospect Aaron Nola. Nola, the former LSU standout, continues to impress since being taken with the 7th overall pick in the 2014 draft. The 21-year-old righty is only 6'1", 195 pounds, but he comes right after hitters with a good low 90s fastball that tops out at 95. He also mixes in an above-average slider and a changeup and does an exceptional job of pounding the strike zone and keeping hitters off balance. In 10 starts for AA reading, Nola is 6-3 with a very impressive 1.81 ERA. He's walked just 7 to go along with 50 strikeouts in 64 and 2 thirds innings and has limited opposing hitters to a 215 batting average against. Aaron Nola isn't the kind of player who's going to single-handedly turn around a struggling organization, but he does profile as a solid mid-rotation starter who's worth rostering in deep and formats. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, Chris Maloney, Colby Garropy, Nick Richards, Matthew St. Germain, Brent Hershey, and Alec Dopp have reports and updates on top prospects, organization moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. This week, our extensive prospect coverage continues with that daily call-ups coverage, looking at Houston right-hander Michael Feliz, Texas right-hander Alex Gonzalez, because we needed another Alex Gonzalez to clutter up the historical data. Boston left-hander Eduardo Rodriguez, also covered in playing time tomorrow, and many others. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's time for our playing time segment, where we look at situations that could mean changes in which players could be getting more chances or riding the pine. 
In this week's edition, analyst Ryan Bloomfield looks at possible closer changes in Kansas City and L.A. This week in a Playing Time Tomorrow piece on BaseballHQ.com, our AL Central ace Bob Berger noted that Wade Davis has again been spectacular in Kansas City's bullpen so far. Davis hasn't allowed a run through Sunday's games. He has more strikeouts than innings pitched so far, and he's on his way to a third triple-digit base performance value, or BPV, in his last four years. Davis's success is also noteworthy because of the underlying struggles to Greg Holland this year. Holland was drafted by many as the top closer in the American League, and while his 238 surface ERA might make you think everything's fine, there are some warning signs. Holland's fastball velocity is down from 96 miles an hour the past few seasons to below 94 this year, and as a result, his strikeout rate has been nearly cut in half. Holland's BPV is a far cry from Davis's so far. It actually sits below zero. Holland hit the DL with a strained peck earlier this year, and we have to wonder if the drop in velocity and overall skills might suggest a hidden injury. Either way, grabbing Wade Davis in any league format is probably a smart move. He has closer-worthy skills, and he even saved seven games while Holland was on that DL stint earlier in the year. If Holland's surface stats catch up to his poor skills, we could see a closer change in Kansas City pretty soon. Another bullpen to watch out for is Seattle. Fernando Rodney has an ERA north of 7, yet he somehow managed to pile up 14 saves on the season. Behind Rodney is a pair of impressive plan Bs, namely Carson Smith. Smith is a 25-year-old who has more strikeouts than innings in his major league career of only 29 innings, uh, but he's been great in the 8th inning for Seattle with just 3 earned runs allowed all season. Smith's elite 166 BPV says he could thrive if Rodney is replaced. Another name is Tom Wilhelmson. Wilhelmson has closer experience for managers that are into that sort of thing, and his skills have shot up this year to the tune of 11.1 dominance, 4.7 strikeout to walk rate, and 157 BPV over just 11 innings. Uh, Carson Smith would be our pick if Rodney pitches himself out of a job, uh, but Wilhelmson's experience might be worth a look to if you have room. As is always the case with saves and closers and bullpens, all we can do is guess what the next move might be. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Ryan Bloomfield is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has his playing time commentary here at Baseball HQ Radio every Tuesday. Now it's time for our Frequent Flyers commentary, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available in your free agent pool and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's frequent flyers are Eduardo Rodriguez, Chichi Gonzalez, and Joey Gallo. And here to tell you more is BaseballHQ.com analyst Alex Becky. What happened in Boston this week for the first time in nearly 50 years? Eduardo Rodriguez, a 22-year-old lefty who blanked the Texas Rangers with seven and two-thirds scoreless innings last Thursday, became the youngest Boston starter to win his Major League debut since Billy Rohr in 1967. You may remember Rodriguez as the player Boston received in the trade that sent now-Yankees closer Andrew Miller to Baltimore last season. Rodriguez has even garnered some comparisons to Johan Santana by offering a high 90s fastball that hits 98 miles an hour when needed, along with a very good changeup. He also commands a decent slider and breaking ball. Prior to his call-up, Rodriguez posted a 2.98 ERA at AAA Pawtucket. 
His 1.3 control, 6.3 command, and 8.2 dom at AAA also point to good things to come once he joins Boston's rotation full-time. Although he could be sent back to AAA at any time, Rodriguez has earned at least one more start. Go grab him if he's available. But Rodriguez wasn't the only pitcher to sparkle his Major League debut last week. Our second frequent flyer, Alex Chichi Gonzalez of the Texas Rangers, was also brilliant. The former number one pick of the Rangers, 23rd overall in 2013, began his major league career by tossing a no-hitter through five innings against the Boston Red Sox last Saturday. The wearer of the Nolan Ryan Minor League Pitcher of the Year Award in 2014 as the organization's best minor league pitcher, Gonzalez has progressed quickly through the Rangers system. He moved all the way from Myrtle Beach, a Rangers Class A advanced affiliate at the beginning of last year, to Round Rock, the Rangers AAA affiliate, to start this season culminating his Major League debut on May 30th. Along the way, Gonzalez compiled a 12-6 record through 25 starts in 2014 with a 2.66 ERA. How will that translate to the big leagues? Only time will tell, but if his first game was any indication, the 23-year-old Gonzalez could be a staple in the Texas rotation for years to come. Finally, our last frequent flyer is another star rising quickly through the Rangers system, Joey Gallo. With the injury to Adrian Beltre's thumb likely to keep him out at least two weeks, maybe longer, rumors are already starting to swirl that the Rangers might promote Gallo as Beltre's replacement. Known for his power, Gallo's 42 home runs in the minors last season finished second only to leader Chris Bryant's 43. That begs a question. Could Gallo have the same impact as Chris Bryant? Possibly. But it's important to remember that all of our frequent flyers, like Joey Gallo, are long shots, but could be worth a flyer if they are available in your league. Looking at the numbers, Gallo is batting 314 through his first 34 games this season with nine home runs. But given that he has yet to play a day above double A, any call up to a major league level could be brief. However, if he keeps hitting, Gallo may eventually force a Rangers hand. If you want to force your opponent's hand and win your league, consider adding. Eduardo Rodriguez, Chichi Gonzalez, and Joey Gallo are frequent flyers for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Alex Becky is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has our frequent flyers comment here on Baseball HQ Radio on Tuesday every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, June the 2nd. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 31 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guest for this Tuesday edition of the show, Lenny Melnick, a legendary name in the fantasy baseball business and a terrific guy to talk with. We've been trying for many years to get Lenny onto the show and finally got it done. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our minor league minute analyst was Rob Gordon. Our playing time commentator was Ryan Bloomfield. Our frequent flyers commentator was Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt. I'll soon have a Baseball HQ research and analysis article looking at the predictive power of hot pitching streaks. In the meantime, I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. You're not going to learn much, but you'll be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep this podcast going. 
Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with our regular news and notes edition featuring Todd Zola. That's the next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.